welcome back to Coffee Calls with Belinda. My name is Belinda Granger and we are doing a special edition, a post-race edition of the PTO 2020 Championships at Challenge Daytona and I have two very special guests with me here today. We have got the Uber biker, uh, Magnus Ditliff, and his manager and great friend, Casper Pedersen, all the way from Denmark. Welcome, boys. Thank you so much, Belinda. Thank yeah, you. thank you so much. It's an honor to be on your show. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having us. Well, it is actually an honor for me, boys, because uh, you've been nothing but the most professional of professionals, uh, particularly in Daytona, and it was an absolute pleasure to have you at that race. Now, before we start, um, Magnus, I'm going to start with you. I just want you to give me and the, our audience a little bit of an intro because a lot of people before this year probably didn't know who Magnus Ditlef was. Um, you're 23 years of age, which is very, very young for uh, a distance athlete in the sport of triathlon. In fact, you were the youngest competitor racing in uh, Daytona this year, along with Frederick Funk. But just give us a little bit of an intro, Magnus, on how long you have actually been in the sport of triathlon for. Yeah, I think uh, it's no, it's, I have come into professional triathlon in a quite unusual way because, uh, first of all, I started like when I was younger, just playing football and badminton like many others. And then uh, when I entered uh, high school, uh, many of my teammates started like uh, going to parties and uh, suddenly my team was, there were not many people on my team anymore. So uh, I started like running a bit for myself and uh, biking too. And then I had been swimming when I was uh, much younger, so I could swim. Uh, and then uh, in my class, there were two elite runners who we talked a bit about running because they could see that I was doing some uh, by myself and they got me into their club actually. So I started running with an athletic uh, track and field uh, club. Uh, and then uh, obviously I was just biking uh, for myself. And then one day <laughs> I think I just came up with the idea to do an, a half Ironman <laughs> and that went uh, <laughs> not really well. <laughs> So how old were you when how old were you when you when you did your first half distance race? Uh, I think I was seventeen or eighteen. Oh, oh that's crazy! And was that and was that your very first triathlon, Magnus? Yeah, I remember it very clearly. Clearly, it was my first <laughs> ever triathlon, and I haven't really thought about that. I was actually going to run after the bike, <laughs> so so I just entered T two almost like I did in Daytona, but uh, maybe just uh, very much worse, and then. I cramped up even before I started running. <laughs> so it was almost like 21 kilometers of uh, pure walk. But uh, I got oh. through and somehow it uh, uh, it caught my attention. <laughs> okay, so that was at 17 years of age. Well, obviously you have come a long way since then. But Casper, how do you fit into the picture? Have you known Magnus for a long time or did you only meet through the sport of triathlon? Uh, no, we, yeah, we actually met uh, through the sport of triathlon, uh, I think when we were both 19 or 20 years of age, so that's three or four years ago, 
uh, when we were both uh, silly age groupers uh, trying to make our <laughs> way through the sport. Uh, and we started training together. I actually think it was after one race in yeah. Elsinore uh, yeah. back two, three years ago, uh, where Magnus had a very good race and I didn't. <laughs> and I came over to him and congrats him on his great race and also said that uh, we needed to train together if I wanted to get better. Um, yeah, and from that that on, uh, we just started to became good friends and yeah, started to train a lot together. And then I joined the local triathlon club where Magnus all uh, was uh, attended to that club before, uh, and I started to train with those guys and the squad there. Uh, yeah, and from there on, we have just been best friends, I think. <laughs> yeah, uh, and and made our way through the sport. <laughs> And do you live very close to each other? So you're from the same town or are you a fair way apart? Uh, I mean, Denmark is pretty small. So we both, li- small. both yeah. live in uh, very yeah. close to uh, Copenhagen where we also train. So it's like uh, 10 minutes drive from each other. Oh, that's perfect. Uh, now, obviously, Magnus, you were an absolute hit this year uh, at the PTO 2020 Championships in Challenge Daytona. You raced Daytona last year. You came over and what I loved, and, and, and I'll be honest, when you came over last year with your dad, I didn't know much about you, you know, um, and I, but I remember when I first met you and I asked you and I walked away from that first conversation we had feeling like, wow, who is this young boy who's come all the way over from Europe? What a gutsy young kid to come over from Europe um, and race at the end of the year. And I just didn't know anything about you. Um what 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 decision did you make to come over and do Challenge Daytona last year? Um, I wanted to say that before also because I think uh, what I wanted to say was that my uh, way into professional triathlon has been quite unusual as I've been like uh, having two quite serious uh, accidents on my bike. So actually I was supposed to do my first uh, ever pro uh, race at Challenge Mallorca in 2018. But then one week before that, uh, I got collided with a car uh, when I was doing some intervals with around <laughs> 45 kilometers per hour and just uh, drove directly into the side of it and broke my collarbone and shoulder and hand. So I had to recover quite some time after that. So I spent the most of 2019 doing that. And then when I <laughs> I just was thinking that I was ready to do a race, uh, we signed me up for Challenge uh, Salut. Uh, in the I think that's in May or April or something in 2019 but then (laughs) three weeks before that I was on a training camp in Mallorca and uh, it was raining (laughs) and then we were doing some intervals up a mountain and somehow I managed to crash going uphill (laughs) and uh, landing directly on the side which completely messed my... We don't know actually what happened, but it was some kind of nerve uh, injury. So I spent the rest of 2019 not being, almost not being able to walk. Uh, and then I got my pro debut in Challenge Davos. But I haven't really been running uh, because of <laughs> my crash uh, on Mallorca. So I wasn't like competitive at all there. But then uh, the training after Davos went pretty well. Uh, and I wanted to do another race, and then uh, we just signed me up for Challenge Daytona. I've been training a lot, actually, 
lot. Thinking <laughs> yeah. that I would training be... a lot, but not being able to yeah. not being able to race as yeah. much. Yeah. So it has been quite a uh, frustrating time, actually, being just thinking myself. I I am competitive. I can be uh, in this field, but not being able to show it because all the time I crashed and <laughs> yeah. Well, after your race in Challenge Daytona last year, obviously. As you said, none of us knew much about you, but we certainly knew a lot about you by the end of that race. And especially because you were the only rider last year able to stay with the likes of Lionel Sanders, who we know is one of the best bike riders in the world. Uh, and you were able to ride with him and get off the bike with him. And, and of course, you eventually finished in sixth place, which was still pretty good. Um, but yeah, I think after that race last year, we all started to take notice of who Magnus Ditlef was. Yeah. <laughs> It was like I came out of the water with Sanders and I just, I had no idea where, I, I knew I was uh, like in the group I was training with, I was a good bike rider, but I had no idea compared to the best biker. So I was pretty excited to see that I was able to, to ride with him all the way, actually. That's incredible. And look, since that race, I mean, that race was last December 2019. And then, of course, this year, 2020, when most athletes have really not been able to do much, the rise, your rise uh, to the top has been nothing short of incredible. I mean, you were fourth at 70.3 Dubai, and I know you were sick going into that race. You were then, of course, had your very first pro win in uh, Poland at, at 70.3 Guinea. I mean, in a year where most professional athletes have been struggling with either their form or struggling with injury or sickness or even just struggling with the motivation because of COVID and all these races continually being cancelled, you seem to have thrived, Magnus, which is quite unusual. But you've you've turned, you know, the worst year for any athlete in, into a really productive and successful year. How, how have you done that? Um, I think there are many factors, of course. Uh, first of all, it has been like I've been able to train uh, consistently, not being uh, hit by cars and stuff. So <laughs> I've just been, been training. <laughs> I've been training uh, a lot, uh, and then it also come all also comes down to the environment we have here in our club in Copenhagen, where we are like uh, ten to fifteen young uh, athletes all. Uh, I'm actually one of the older ones, but some of them are like, uh, how what are they? 16, eight, eight, six, 17. 16, 17, 18 years old. And we are all, uh, all the group, we are all trained by the same coach. So we do all the stuff together. And I think we've just managed to, instead of like being depressed and we've just seen it, we know that the we we will first reach our the top shape in many years. So we've just seen it as an opportunity to like improve because when young people who have not been training very much, suddenly we, we've been having weeks and weeks and weeks of only training and building and building. So I think we've just all improved a lot. And, and, and Casper, have you been training with Magnus? Now, obviously, you know, we know that you are, you are the manager of Magnus now, but you are also an athlete yourself. And uh, before we started the podcast today, I didn't realize that, um, because I remember you as an athlete, um, but I didn't realize that you you were just saying you've had some heart issues. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, just like Magnus, I started as an age grouper. Uh, and then, of course, I'm also coached by the same coach as Magnus. Uh, and then, obviously, I also started to 
get better and better. Uh, and actually, I wanted to have my first pro season this year. Uh, but all the way through 2019, and especially the last part of 2019, I had some, yeah, quite some heavy issues with my heart, uh, but the doctors couldn't really find out what the issue was. Uh, and then I had my last age group race in Bahrain uh, in December. And yeah, just directly after I came home after that race, uh, I got yeah, very, very sick with my heart. Uh, and I think I was at the hospital for maybe two or three months and spent my whole uh, Christmas and New Year at the hospital. Uh, where they found out that I had some inflammation around my heart and actually they had to do a yeah, minor operation where they uh, soaked up I think it was two liters of inflammation that was around my heart uh, so actually they don't know how I was able to train with that much inflammation around my heart for so long uh, but oh yeah all the way through 2019 I think I slept maybe 12 <laughs> hours each night and maybe three to four hours uh, during yeah. the day. And I was just constantly yeah. tired, but the doctors couldn't say why. Uh, and sometimes when I was out riding with yeah, Magnus and our coach, uh, suddenly my heart rate could just raise 50 to 70 beats just within five seconds. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> then obviously they found out what it was uh, and uh, yeah, it's getting better and better uh, each week, uh, but I have to be very careful. Uh, so, uh, but I'm I'm slowly getting back into training, uh, but I'm more getting into the manager and business side of the sport uh, now yeah. uh, instead of the athlete side of it. It was actually when I was I visited Casper uh, when he was at the hospital and we were talking about a triathlon because that's the only thing we talk about. So <laughs> we wanted him. He, he wants to. He wanted to stay stay in the sport. Uh, so I just said to him, now uh, if you can't train at the moment, then you can be my manager and start uh, writing to sponsors and upping my show me game and stuff and. That was like the the introduction to what the the partnership we have now. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think it's absolutely perfect because I look at you two young men. I mean, as I said, you you're 23 years of age, which is very very young, particularly in long distance triathlon. And the one thing that's always impressed me since I've, I very first met you both was just the maturity that you show. Uh, well beyond your years and just to know Magnus that you know you are taking this profession very seriously and you know that there is more to the sport than just training and racing so just the fact that you've gone to Casper and asked him um, and you know the importance of having a manager and, and having these other the other parts to being a professional athlete taken care of I mean it's it's pretty incredible that that 23-year-old, and I'll call you boys because in my eyes, you're still boys, um, would even think that way. So, you know, it's it's amazing, amazing to see, to be honest. And Casper, it must be great because you, you're probably like me in many ways. I mean, I was a professional athlete for many years and obviously I, I had to retire in the end because I was too old. Um, but I didn't want to necessarily leave the sport because I love the sport. So I feel like you are a little bit in the same shoes as me in that you still want to be involved. You've just got a slightly different role to, to what you originally thought. Yeah. Uh, and I actually, without being too sentimental, uh, I think that I know Maunus is very grateful for 
what I do for him each day. But actually, I feel like I should be the one who is grateful for what Magnus has done for me, because I, I think he actually got me back into life in somehow. Because obviously, when you have heart issues and yeah, so uh, yeah, you yeah. could be pretty depressed. Sometimes. Yeah, I could be very depressed sometimes. <laughs> uh, and when you lay on the hosp- in the hospital bed for several months, uh, yeah, I, I didn't know how to get back into life. To be honest, uh, and Magnus helped me with that by saying that I could be his manager, and and that way he got me back into life, but also back into the sport that I still love, even though I can't compete as as I want to. Well, I think it's fantastic because I can imagine nothing scarier than, you know, as a 23-year-old or younger at the time uh, having an issue with your heart. That's a scary thought. So to see that you've been able to reinvent yourself, Casper, and, and I think what's great about the both of you is it's a reciprocal relationship here. You're both, you're both benefiting from each other, and that's always a sign of a healthy, of a healthy relationship. Um, now let's talk about Daytona because obviously it was by far the biggest event of the year. Um, did you boys ever think that it might not happen? I mean, so many races this year got cancelled last minute. Was it ever at the back of your mind, particularly you, Magnus, when you were obviously training very, very hard for this particular event? Did you ever think, oh, I bet you it's going to get cancelled. Any minute now it's going to get cancelled. Did, did you ever have those thoughts? I mean, I... I made a deal to just say to myself all the time I was in doubt, it's going to happen. Because if you don't believe that it will happen, then when the training and everything goes really gets really tough, then I think you won't be able to uh, deliver every, everything. So I, I tried to really like tell myself that it will happen and we will fly to Daytona and the race will happen. But I mean, even <laughs> the week leading up to I was like it might be you don't know about what's going to happen in 2020 but I I just tried to tell myself that it, it will happen but it was a crazy time training like for the race because suddenly <laughs> three weeks before the race my mom uh, got COVID-19 and I was like okay oh, no. then, then I will get it for sure <laughs> because we've been like together all the time so I moved uh into my girlfriend's house uh, trying to stay away from home but then one week later my girlfriend got COVID-19 and I was was like again no way I can escape it now so I moved into some of my parents uh, friends uh, basement so I had to live in in their basement for like one and a half week (laughs) but uh, I didn't uh, catch the virus so I think it's a, That's crazy. It's a minor That's miracle. That's a crazy story. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, so it was also quite hard to like, then I moved out from home, taking all my things to my girlfriend and then trying to stay to train a lot at the same time and then moving out <laughs> from my girlfriend and into a completely new environment in the basement where I had nothing, not even a kitchen. So. Wow. Oh, I did not know that story. But... Obviously, when you finally got to Daytona and obviously to the to the race central, to the race hotels, that must have been such a relief. I mean, you and Casper travelled over from Denmark together and obviously when we stayed at the, the, the hotels, the Daytona, it must have been such a relief to finally put your luggage in that room and know that nothing was going to stop you racing. 
Yeah, I mean, even one week before we were supposed supposed to fly, our ticket suddenly got cancelled. So just when Casper and I sat on the plane and looked each other in the eyes, we just knew, ah, yeah, it's then, finally over. <laughs> and then we could relax just a little bit. Honestly, I mean, we, I, I think we're all going to look back in 10 years' time at 2020 and we're just going to shake our heads and laugh because nobody could have predicted this year. I mean... It's just, I just think about it now and it's it's just insane. And obviously um, I'm sitting here in quarantine now in Australia because we have to sit a compulsory two-week quarantine when we get back from overseas. And it's not like normal quarantine where you get to do it in your own house. We get marched off the plane basically by police and military and put into a hotel that is not of our choice and we are not allowed to leave the room for an entire two weeks. Um, but I've seen you've got but, in a treadmill but, or something. <laughs> Oh, I, I needed to do that, Magnus, otherwise I was going to go absolutely crazy. So, so it's been pretty pretty good. But, you know, I do not regret it a bit because uh, being able to be in Daytona and be a part of that race um, is truly going to be a part of history. Um, now, Magnus, obviously you'd been there before, you'd raced there the year before, so you had a really good understanding of the of the race and the track which let's face it, it is very, very unique. It's not like we have any other races on it. It's solely done inside a race circuit or a track like that. It was also against the best, the strongest field that I'm sure you've ever raced against. It's certainly the strongest field that I've ever seen assembled. Um, and you received a wild card from the PTO as a result of your performances this year. How did you feel about receiving a wild card to start with? Because obviously you didn't automatically qualify. Um, but when you got that wild card, were you excited? Did you expect it? Um, was it something you thought you were going to get or was it totally out of the blue? Um, I knew that uh, we have been talking to you and others that it, it was I was in the mix for a wild card, but I think there are so many strong guys out there that could have received a wild card and also would have done really, really well. So I was, I was really honored uh, and thankful for you and PTO for the work and for giving me the opportunity. It has been <laughs> an experience for life, uh, being out there and racing against <laughs> my biggest idols and <laughs> going past them and they overtake me again. But <laughs> it was really... <laughs> it was still pretty impressive. Well, I can actually tell you, Magnus, now that we had a little bit of an argument over you because... I know that Bill Christie, obviously the CEO of Challenge North America and myself, we wanted to give you a special invite, but the PTO wanted to give you a wild card. So we were actually, you were the one and only athlete in the entire field that we actually argued over because we wanted you, but they wanted you. So I thought that was pretty cool that we actually, what we were actually fighting over who got to have you. <laughs> It's pretty cool. Now, obviously, the race itself, let's talk about the race itself. I mean, it was such an incredible week leading into the race, and I know the PTO had some amazing uh, media obviously organised. There was photo shoots and interviews, and it was an amazing few days leading up to the race itself. But race day, uh, were you nervous? I mean, obviously, for a lot of people, it's been such a crazy uh, lead-up. You know, some people had no pools to use. Other people were only able to train indoors. But did you feel, I like to say, did you feel quietly confident on the start line or were you absolutely as nervous as could be? 
Um, it's, I think, uh, the week leading up to the race, I was actually feeling really com uh, confident because I knew that I was in the shape of my life and I had done things I've never even been able to do, not even close to it. So, but then it was like when I woke up the day before, I, it suddenly hit me that shit, we are close now. And <laughs> from, from there on, I was pretty nervous actually, uh, but then when the race starts, you, you don't notice it. Then you're just in your zone and do your thing. And Casper, and do you think that's where you play a good part too? I mean, obviously you were sharing a room with Magnus. So you can obviously, you know Magnus so well now, so you could probably feel that nervous energy. And do you think that's where you really played a part as well, to keep him grounded, to keep it all under control, to keep his mind busy so that he didn't start overthinking the race itself? Yeah, and I also think that due to that, the fact that we have been knowing each other for yeah three or four four years now, and our best friends combined with the fact that we are partners, so when and we have been to yeah a lot of races together now, so I know what Magnus needs during the lead up to a race and the day before and three days before and all these kind of things. So I know what Magnus wants to have and all these kind of things. He, even without he has to ask me about it uh, and i think that takes a lot of pressure out of it uh, and i'm also very yeah we are both very good to know yeah, we know each other so well uh, that yeah we don't have to talk about things we just know what we both of us need to do and need to have in order to deliver our best performances uh, and also that yeah also as you mentioned that the week leading into the race you wasn't that nervous and i also think that's because we're very good at still <laughs> trying to have fun with yeah. this sport because the yeah we got into the sport because we love it and we wanted to have fun and i think that mentality we still try to yeah keep that in our minds even though that it's a lot more professional now yeah. uh, but also yeah as you mentioned magnus that the day before the race when we woke up and also obviously on race day we were very serious and we know that we knew that okay now we have to deliver 100 percent and then we are both good at taking yeah what can you say the fun stuff out of it uh, and not make too many jokes uh, but then get very serious uh, because we know we have to do business exactly and i think I think that's the important part about our sport and, and you know, that's a sign of a true professional, knowing when they can relax a bit and, and have a little bit of fun with it, but knowing that when, when push comes to shove and it's time to, to take it seriously, that you know when to do that at two. Exactly. Um, and I think also one of the things is that, yeah, going into the race and uh, at the race that I actually, I think my heart rate was very high during the race because somehow I also feel that because... Obviously, during the race, I tried to give Magnus some splits to yeah, Alistair Brownlee and all the other athletes. And I think I somehow I, th I think it was I had a pressure on me because I know that if I give a wrong message to Magnus and all these kind of things, he it what I tell Magnus during the race will have an effect on how he will perform. Because if I say that there is one minute up to the front group, then he will try to let's say go harder on the bike but if i say that there is only yeah 30 seconds down to uh the, uh the second group or third group it will affect his race in the way he 
Yeah, and wants you to can do really, the race. There are many ways to motivate people. And exactly. I think you, we talked it uh, quite a lot through uh, before the race. What messages Casper uh, should give to me uh, in different scenarios to make sure that I wasn't like getting demotivated or always trying trying to look uh, ahead uh, and give the right splits and stuff. Oh, I love that. And and obviously, one of the important things is is with, with Challenge Daytona, it was always going to be the hardest thing for us as event organisers was getting all of the European athletes to the States because obviously with COVID and all the restrictions, that was the most difficult thing. And originally, we thought we would only be able to invite over the athletes with no support crew. Um, but then we were able to include support crew because we realized, you know, we, let's at least try and get these athletes to have one support crew. So I think once we made that decision, um, it was the right decision to make because every single athlete that was able to bring someone over did. And I think it was a huge help, particularly as you've just said then. Yeah, yeah. also just uh, logistics. I mean, triathlon is a really complex sport and you need so much <laughs> equipment and uh, it was just so help helpful to have one that can help with uh, all those things and buying stuff and going, yeah, eating together and yeah. It just makes the experience no. so much, yeah. It's quite difficult to travel alone actually, I think, and do triathlon. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Just with all the bags and the bikes and the wheels alone, it's it's always good to have that extra set of hands. Now, Magnus, let's talk about the race itself. Um, so you had you had a reasonable swim. I'm not sure if it was where you wanted to get out of the water, but you know it was always going to be a tough ask when you had some of the absolute best short course swimmers in the world there. Uh, I know watching the race, I expected it to split up a little bit more than what it did. I thought that we'd, we, we would have some, you know, some like very, very uh, specific groups of swimmers, but instead it was almost like a long line of, of men getting out of the water together. Um, did you have any idea where you were heading into T1? Uh, I could see, I mean... I, first of all, I was quite unhappy with my swim. Uh, I had expected to be in maybe the second group that was like 115 or something after the lead. But during the Australian exit, I could see, uh, it's a, I was able to get uh, a view of where I was. So, But I just think the problem for me was that there were so many people. <laughs> I'm not used to yes. swimming in such a big field. So I all the, t all the way, I thought like, this is not actually... Uh, uh, very hard for me swimming this pace but I just can't <laughs> move out of my position I tried so many times to to overtake and but I was like I felt like I was stuck in the group where I was so <laughs> just impossible and so what were your thoughts going into T1 and getting on the bike obviously the bike is your forte it's where you excel uh, did you ex I mean obviously you did expect to make your way through the field on the bike being it's your strength but did you ever expect that you would be leading the race and setting the pace um, when you did? Uh, not when Casper told me that there were almost three minutes to the front. Then I thought, no. You I'm, didn't look that No, happy. no way I'm going to bridge that gap. So I just actually, I, I settled into a, a hard pace, but not like, uh, if for instance, if it was only one minute, I would have maybe done 20 minutes really hard and then bridge, tried to bridge, bridge the gap there. But this time it, it took me like one minute, hour uh, 
of steady uh, pacing to to bridge the gap. So, uh, yeah, I had hoped for a better swim, and then I knew it would be it should be possible to make it to the front. Uh, but having that uh, almost three minutes gap in T1, I I didn't expect to, to close the gap and not that fast actually. And and what I thought was incredible is you you weren't content to just to just catch that front that lead group, but you just continued on and went straight through everyone. And I still I still laugh when I, I've watched the coverage a few times now. And of course we had Alicia Kay down on ground on the back of a motorbike, and she obviously didn't know too much about you. Um, but she was absolutely blown away, and I still I laugh when I hear her comments because she could not believe just how quickly you were riding past every single one of those lead athletes, almost like they were standing still. And then the look on Alistair's face, he was like, yes, finally someone who can take the lead and really start pushing this pace. Um, and it, you know, it's pretty pretty funny. Um, did you know that Alistair was leading? I mean, did you know that he was the one that you needed to catch at that particular point in time? Um, time? Yeah, actually, because Caspar was able to give me some quite good messages. We had like uh, agreed that uh, beforehand that if I was gaining time on the front, he should make a thumb up. And it was if I was losing time, he would uh, point it down. And if uh, it was equal, then uh, like nothing. But he was constantly just raising his hands uh, very <laughs> dramatically so i thought <laughs> and then sometime he he got a blackboard from uh, one of the other coaches uh, so he could start writing messages to me and i saw 20 minutes or 20 seconds to alistair and then i knew okay i'm getting really close now <laughs> so i just yeah that was completely <laughs> mad actually I, yeah oh, it's incredible and and obviously at the end of the day you did and you did end up having the fastest bike split. So, you know, outsplitting the likes of Sam Long, Lionel Sanders, Sebastian Kinlay. Um, that's a truly remarkable effort for a 23-year-old man. I think I, 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 unfortunately I lost all my nutrition uh, on the third lap or something. So I was like... Uh, the end of the ride, I rode in second and third position because I could start feeling that I hadn't gotten too much, enough uh, nutrition. Uh, so I also tried to grab some water bottles, but that's quite difficult when you're going 50 kilometers per hour. <laughs> Just a little bit. And so when you came into T2, Magnus, did you know that you were going to be in a little bit of trouble just because you had lost your nutrition and that you were probably very low on calories and also low on electrolytes because we did see you taking, we saw you miss one, but we also saw you take one of, of the waters. But what a lot of people don't realize on this course is it, even though it wasn't so warm for the women, your race was a lot later on in the day and it was quite warm by the time you men started. And then, of course, you couple that with with losing your own nutrition. Um, did you know that you were going to encounter some problems on that run? Mm, I was quite nervous about it, actually. But then when I hit the T2 and started running with my bike, I actually felt <laughs> really good. And I said, OK, maybe maybe it's not over. Uh, and the first until I got my cramps, <laughs> I actually I had just overtaken uh, Rudy Van Berg, so I was running in third position at the time when I got the cramps, and I just started like hundred meters before uh, <laughs> I started cramping. I was thinking like, okay, I can make it to the podium actually, and or maybe a top five. Uh, and then hundred meters later, I was like, 
no way I'm even gonna make it to the finish line. So it was oh, quite no. like uh, from one second to the other, I just, it, it hit me really hard. But I also uh, think it, it was because of, uh, of course, because of the nutrition, but also because of the way you ride, like uh, you are in the aero position constantly uh, and there are no routes uh, other than in Daytona where you can get even close to that feeling. So it's quite hard to uh, for the for the glutes and back. Uh. Well, we saw quite a few athletes. I mean, you weren't alone there. At least you were able to finish it off. But so many of the, of the male athletes were not able to do this. And I mean, I remember seeing a really, the footage that we were, were shown of Andrea Salzburg lying face, like face down because he literally could not, get comfortable in any other position because he's obviously his hamstrings and glutes were cramping so badly. And then, of course, we had a, quite a few DNFs because of the same problem. So, you know, you weren't alone there. And I know the women had spoken about it when they f they'd finished that it was just excruciating. And unless you make a conscious effort to get out of the saddle, there really is no reason on that particular course to ever get out of that error position. So you, you, you're exactly right. So what did you do to get through it? Because obviously we were right on you when you first started cramping. We had cameras on you uh, and we could see, oh. <laughs> and I could, like, when it happened, I could see uh, from the corner of my eyes that the commentators were f filming me and I could hear them saying, oh, Magnus is in trouble, he's cramping up. <laughs> and I was like, like oh, no, 200,000 people <laughs> are watching this and I'm, I can't move my legs at all. <laughs> and that's the worst thing, Magnus, about cramps that that bad. There is, there is absolutely nothing you can do. You've just got to suffer through them. I've never tried anything like it. Actually, uh, it was it was both my legs that just uh, cramped completely up. But I just uh, it was somehow I managed to stretch uh, it a bit away a bit. But and then I tried in all the aid stations to get in as much uh, water and coke and uh, I had three gels on me so I tried just to get as much nutrition in but when I think when you are already in uh, in trouble then it's really hard to come back to to normal uh, and then it was like every time I tried to up my pace to something like 325 uh, per kilometer my my legs were just cramping so I felt like if I ran 3.30, I could just feel they were coming. So it was a really tight line between cramping up and running. All all the time I had to pass a cone or a, a sharp turn, I felt like, oh, no, I will cramp again. <laughs> so it was, yeah. And so eventually, obviously, you finished in 14th position, which... You know, under normal circumstances, you'd say, oh, 14th, that's a terrible race. But let's be honest, Magnus, 14th against that field is still pretty bloody good. Yeah, I think especially uh, with when you take into account the way uh, I wrote, I'm very ha happy uh, about. <laughs> I've shown myself that I'm, I, even when I have a bad swim, I'm still able to like get back into the race. And then I just need to work a lot on my swim. And um, I even saw I was I was doing a little bit of a sneaky look at your Instagram, some of your posts, and you know when you get someone, the likes of Sebastian Kinlay, who give you a really good rap about your bike riding, then you you know you're a legit bike rider, don't you think? Yeah, I think that's uh, that's the <laughs> confirmation that you are getting into something <laughs> great. Exactly. Now, Casper, obviously, I just want to talk a little bit more about yourself. So obviously, we know that you are you are managing. Um, Magnus right now um, 
talk to me a little bit more about your your day to day, so your actual working relationship with Magnus and and what your role is. I mean, obviously, we know in in a race situation when you're traveling to a race with Magnus. Um, then your role is to obviously as motivator, as trainer, to make sure that he, he gets the food that he needs. It's just to look after him. But on a day-to-day basis when you're back home in Denmark like you are now, what what are the specific roles that you that you are undertaking? Well, actually, uh, I think what whatever I can help Magnus with that isn't doing his swim, bike and run uh, and gym work, I try to help him with. So every, yeah, I think talking with sponsors uh, also talking with you guys going into uh, the PTO championship also about the wild card uh, so I try to take all these things that when whenever Manus is done with training the best thing is for him is to recover uh, and not to do social yeah. media or trying to answer emails and talk with sponsors of course there is when you are an athlete on that level of course you also have to be involved with your environment uh, and also your sponsors but i think the daily maintenance of that uh, i think it's very good for him to have a manager like me that can take care of these stuffs uh, but actually yeah like yesterday uh, sometimes i also on the deck when he is swimming biking and running and doing some assistant coaching for him as well uh, together with his main coach who is Jens uh, but actually I just try to yeah be together with Magnus as much as possible uh, during the weeks and the days uh, so yeah it's basically um, I'm his uh, <laughs> lifetime assistant <laughs> if you can tell it that way but that's also I think because we are such good friends yeah. Uh, so it's also much more on a personal level. Yeah, exactly. We talk about if we have some troubles uh, personally and stuff. Yeah, and I actually think it goes both way. Mm. Uh, of course, I help Magnus a lot, uh, and we yeah, also, as you said, on the personal level. But it it goes both way as well. So when I have some troubles, he's also there for me each time. And I also think that's one of the things that works so good in our partnership is that we respect each other. And what I also like about it is that when also actually when Magnus won uh, Poland back in September, I almost felt like I had my first pro win, uh, and I think that just uh, really sustained that we have a very very strong friendship but also partnership, and we're very good to combine uh, those two things. No, oh, I think it's wonderful, and I think particularly me looking on as, as an older ex-athlete to see the maturity that both of you young men are showing to each other, to the sport, um, you know, it's it's truly amazing. And, and I have no, absolutely no doubt that there are huge things ahead for both of you. Now, talking about looking ahead, um, obviously it's December now, so most people have decided, most athletes have decided to take some time out, particularly after even though we've had a fairly um, small year as far as racing goes, but to, to end with something like the PTO 2020 Champs, um, which was such a huge championship event, uh, a lot of athletes are taking a break now. What what are you two up to? Are you taking some time out or are you just using this time to just tick it over and do some easy training or are you straight back into it and um, still training like normal? Um, I think like... Uh, many people think it has been an easy season because there has not been many races. But for me, it has actually been quite a, a demanding season because mm. I've like 
I haven't gotten any breaks from training at all. So I've just like had almost 12 weeks blocks uh, of training and training and training and no taper. And so it has been quite a demanding uh, season in that regard to the body. Uh, so right now I'm, I will take uh, two weeks of only training what I feel like uh, and just doing what I want to do uh, with the training and then we'll start up again. Uh, we don't know uh, what races will come, but maybe it seems that 17.3 Dubai might be, uh, available, uh, be a, possibility. A, a possibility. And I think I would love to go back and race there again. And then we are also actually discussing, because before Daytona, I, I did some testing uh, for the aerodynamics uh, on the track uh, velodrome. So we are actually looking into if it's possible to do uh, a rec our record attempt to try and see if I can beat uh, the the distance that Lionel Sanders just set uh, a month or two ago. This. So I hope that <laughs> that would be quite fun to both because I really like uh, uh, like uh, optimizing my setup on the bike and really look into that. I'm. I have a bachelor in engineering, so I'm quite uh, detail-oriented and really love uh, yeah, working on my bike. So that in that regard, it would be a really nice project. And then, then I also think it could start uh, be a good uh, project with regard to like branding and see if I can beat Sanders' uh, distance and stuff. Oh, now this is a very that this is the best thing I've heard in 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 months. This is a great a great little thing, um, and I'm sure that uh, Lionel Sanders will be very keen to see what you're able to ride. And I must admit, now that I've heard that you're an engineer, it all makes sense, Magnus, because uh, you're meticulous. I look at your bike position, and even though I know you probably think it it could do with some more work, I look at your um, position and I think it's almost perfection. So for someone that hasn't really been in the sport that long, um, to have a position that you already have um, on the bike, I'm, I'm a bit scared to think where you could go from here. So that's, that's pretty crazy. I mean, I'm, I'm quite a big guy, so I, I'm not the, I don't have the lowest uh, CDA, but compared to my size, I think I'm quite aero, actually. So, but we are Absolutely. constantly trying to improve. Oh. And so, okay, so that's what the, that's what we're looking at for next year. And obviously, as races open up, and hopefully, um, you know that we will see more races happening again next year. Is there any is there any feelings from you about moving up a bit longer? Obviously, you are still very very young, not just in years, but also in the amount of time you've been in the sport. Uh, are you going to stick to half distance and, and and shorter, or are you looking to jump up? to the longer distances or even the full distance anytime soon? Um, we are not quite sure. I think we uh, we talk, the, my coach and I have uh, talked about maybe doing uh, an Ironman and try to qualify for Hawaii uh, because the way, like the philosophy and the way we, we train, uh, we believe that I should be able to deliver quite uh, an, a decent Ironman. And then I think if, I could qualify for Hawaii. It could be nice to, to come over there, like in Daytona, and feel what it's all about and get some experience. So that's something that you're looking to do, say, next year or maybe a little bit further down yeah, the track? Yeah, maybe next year already, actually, but uh, it's not 100% uh, sure. <laughs> okay. No, I mean, again, you know, at 23 years of age, you've got, 
you've got years and years ahead of you for um for the the longer distance which is which is a scary thought because I don't think we've even seen anywhere near your potential yet over the half distance either um, and now what about Challenge Miami obviously that's the next race coming up in North America for Challenge uh, in March and it will be going back to a similar distance to what the original Challenge Daytona distance was so what you raced last year it might be a touch longer um, is that something that you're interested in coming back over for if it's a possibility? Um, as Casper just mentioned uh, the race yesterday I didn't even know about it actually but I think if uh, I would really love <laughs> to do that because I think the way PTO organized this event has been uh, completely setting like a new standard for the way to treat professionals and how to to hold an, an event so I would I would love to to go to Miami and race there and of course, Miami is, it's the same sort of thing as Daytona, except I, I just did a little bit of research today. And while the Daytona track is about four and a half kilometers around, uh, the Miami track is only about two and a half. So it's a lot shorter track. So that's going to mean, that's going to mean a, a lot more corners and a lot more, a lot more laps to do. Yeah. Then I think uh, it will be, uh, <laughs> there will be much traffic <laughs> on the bike uh, <laughs> route. <laughs> that's just, uh, that will be fun. <laughs> And actually, speaking about traffic, because obviously you know the 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 size of the of the of the professional field in um, the PTO champs was enormous, and under usual circumstances, we wouldn't have a field that big. Um, did you feel like the twenty meter rule was something that absolutely is needed? I mean, it was something that it, it's a it's a rule that the cha that Challenge families brought in quite a few years ago because we felt like for it to be a fair race, then twenty meters is needed. Is that something that you agree with as well? Yeah, I, I definitely think that 12 meter, uh, 20 meter is, if you want to make a non-draft race, then, I mean, 12 meters, you still get a, quite a huge uh, uh, draft uh, effect out of that. So I think that 20 meters definitely made, makes it more fair. And when you invite also short distance guys that can swim well, I think if it was 12 meters, then... Uh, the likes of Sanders and Long and me, we would really have problems bridging the gap. So if they could just sit on 12 meters and help each other. So I think that uh, in that regard, 20 meters is definitely uh, the way to go. And especially on a course like Daytona, where yeah. it's just flat and you have yep. no hills. Yeah. So if you're on 12 meters and, and riding sometime, 50 kilometers an hour, exactly. then, then the draft benefit will be quite uh, quite important at 12 meters. Yep. Yeah. Actually, that's just, you've just raised a really important, and I meant to ask you this question back when we were actually talking about the race itself. When you saw the field, because obviously it was, you know, the PTO field was made up of automatic top 40 in the PTO rankings, plus the wild cards, plus some special invites. When you saw some of the short course athletes that had been invited, so the likes of Vincent Louis, um, Gustav Eden, also um, Henry Schumann, did it enter your mind? Did you think, oh, well, over this particular distance, you know, over the 100-kilometre the distance that the race was run over, did you think, oh, this is just going to be impossible for the long course men and women to to win? Or did you actually think that it was going to be as even? Because we were having we were having discussions about this all week, who we thought was going to take control, whether it was going to be the short course men or the long course men. But at the end of the day, Magnus, it was a really healthy mixture of both did you did you think that that was going to be the way it was going to pan out in the end yeah we had like talked about that so many times also before the race 
but I think uh, it's like mainly due to the 20 meter rule that this, the long yeah. distance guys were able to to bridge the gap and you also saw quite a lot of surprises actually which I believe is also uh, mainly due to the fact of the 20 meter rule that if you just sit on 12 meters then you can enter T2 with quite fresh legs and then obviously uh, the long course guys <laughs> will have <laughs> really <laughs> will be in much trouble of trying to run with uh, the best short distance guys so I, I thought like I knew that some of the short distance guys would get quite in trouble on the bike also because I've seen the way they sit on the bike and the, I know that it takes many 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 hours to <laughs> to adapt to the TT position and especially on a course like that it's it's not 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 something you can just train for a month and then you will be fully adapted to riding 80 kilometers uh, on a track in aero position it and if if you are able to sit in the aero position then you will uh, enter T2 with really tired legs so I think that it's because of the 20 meter rule that that uh, it came down to uh, the mix we saw yeah which is exactly what we wanted which is perfect now before i let you lovely boys go uh christmas in denmark obviously a lot different to christmas in australia we are going into summer now so we have excruciatingly hot conditions but you are the exact opposite is it snowing where you guys are now or not yet no, it's uh, probably the most boring weather you could ever imagine. It's like uh, <laughs> three three degrees and then raining nonstop. Uh, and I think they said in the news yesterday <laughs> that we only have had seven minutes of sun during December. Yeah, so that's a, not that much. <laughs> it's a new new record for not seeing the sun. We haven't seen it. Uh, yeah. That's crazy. That make, that that makes me not feel not so bad about being inside. I mean, obviously, I'm in um, quarantine for two weeks and I'm not allowed outside, so I haven't actually seen the sun either. Inside either way. No. So. <laughs> but uh, also leading wow. up to leading up to Daytona, it was quite uh, because it's such uh, bad weather here in Denmark uh, at the moment. It was quite a challenge to like do. I really wanted to make some long interval sessions in my aero uh, position and I don't feel like on the tu turbo it's uh, not quite the same so I try to ride outside but but in these conditions it's quite tough. <laughs> I don't know how you do it. I am such a I am such a wuss now when it comes to cold weather. I'm terrible. <laughs> And are you in restrictions now in Denmark? I mean, I know that Germany's just gone back into a lockdown. The UK's gone back into a lockdown. Is Denmark okay or are you in any sort of lockdown right now? We actually talk about a second lockdown also, uh, but it's more, it's not very strict. Uh, actually, the pools have just closed, but not for professionals, so, so we can still swim, but there are definitely, uh, there are coming more and more restrictions. <laughs> Well, we just got to make sure we can get through uh, get through Christmas in one piece, that's for sure. But listen, boys, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for your time. I've been wanting to chat to you both for ages. Obviously, we were we were neighbours in Daytona in our hotels, but with all of us being so busy with our respective roles, we didn't actually get a time to sit and chat. So thank you very much for allowing me to do that now. Thank you for yeah, having us. It's us uh, that's thanking uh... I'm really happy that for the way you treat us. Oh, well, we love you, Magnus, and I can't wait to have you uh, at any and all of our challenge events uh, next year. So 
I'll be the one emailing you, begging you to come. So don't you worry about that. <laughs> I will try to come. All right. Well, listen. Um, take care, and I'll um, I'll speak to you again soon. You yeah. too, Belinda. Thank you. Have Thanks. a great day. See you. Thanks for listening to the official Challenge Family podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave us a review. We're just loving your enthusiasm. And next to that, it will also help other people to find this podcast. The making of this podcast would not be possible without the help of some of our amazing partners. So a big shout out to Powerbar, ABUS, Sport No Limit Group, Lubos Billick at LB Training, Souls for Souls and Wahoo. But for now, thanks for listening and I'll be back soon for another Coffee with Belinda.